2: Yes, indeed. Welcome in to the Maiden Voyage, the first edition, the first of what we hope will be a lot of successful, entertaining, engaging episodes of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is the purveyor, the owner, the operator, Uh, Paulson, AKA John Lewis. Uh, who is now here and and first of all, thank you. thank you because this is something you and I have been talking about in recent weeks about doing it is now a reality. You are now part of a podcast where you had not be, you had not been interested in that before. I've kind yeah. of talked you into this. so thank you and uh, and here we go with the first one.
3: How are you, john? i'm doing uh, I'm doing well. Uh, it's kind of a shotgun wedding a bit, right? Uh, you know. Uh, we have actually, uh, TJ. Uh, we've never met before in our lives. We've never met. Uh, in fact, I we had never spoken until a couple of weeks ago. So uh, this is this is very experimental for sure. Uh, but I'm looking forward to giving it a try. I love it, and I and I love the fact uh, that we get to have
2: these conversations and have opinions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we appreciate that. We remind. Everybody that's listening to us, however you found us, subscribe to this podcast on all the podcast platforms. Obviously, John will be promoting it through SportsMediaWatch.com and social media links. You'll see those. But the easiest way to get this podcast is to subscribe. And just as a quick outline here, we're going to be talking about the Summer Olympics, the coverage on NBC, the most recent NBA draft uh, that happened, and a couple of other things that might Uh, slip in but anything that's timely will be here with the podcast on a fairly regular basis and if you are subscribed john as we talk about all the time you get it automatically you get an automatic notification on your phone your ipad etc whenever there is a new one so please subscribe away and obviously you will find it through the site and read away on sportsmediawatch.com let's begin right there with nbc's coverage of the uh, olympics uh, full disclosure, it has been on nonstop in my house with my wife. I have twin 13-year-old daughters. We've been watching all kinds of things day and night. However, it's kind of like those commercials for the Marines, the few, the proud. John, I feel like we're we're some of the few, the proud, because the audience number's not great, even though the action is exciting in Tokyo. Um, all right, what do you make of this? Because it's no secret that the primetime coverage is down some 50 to 60% from the London 2012 games, down about 40% from the Rio 2016 games. That, that is not good, but I, that's, my, that's me saying that. What is
3: your take on all this? Well, you know, uh, it really depends on what your perspective is, right? If you look at the rest of prime time, and I think Rick Porter at The Hollywood Reporter did a story on this yesterday, the Olympics is down about the same as the rest of prime time is over that same five-year period. So from that perspective, you know, well, the numbers really aren't that bad. The declines are in line with everything else on TV. But, you know, the counter to that is the Olympics is supposed to be immune or not totally immune, but certainly partially immune. That's the advantage that sports is supposed to have. Sports as the last relevant live programming is supposed to be declining less than you know, an entertainment show that you can go watch on Netflix or DVR and watch a month later without losing anything. So the fact that the numbers are down as much as they are, I mean, it's really hard to, it's hard to look at that in anything other than a negative light. It is certainly the case that the numbers for the Olympics are vastly better than anything else outside of football on TV. You know, so that's not just a silver lining. It's a relevant and important point. But it's also the case that you're talking about losing, you know, in some cases, nearly 20 million viewers from Rio, which was not that strong of an Olympics. I mean, I I don't know. I I think there are certainly things that NBC could look at and say, hey, this isn't that bad. We're we're dominating TV. When was the last time the NBA Finals or World Series got 19 million viewers, right? You'd have to go back to pre-COVID. You know, uh, frankly, college football's national championship is in line with these numbers at the higher end for the Olympics. So, you know, there are certainly some good things, but the Olympics, that is an event that to be averaging fewer than 20 million viewers, I don't think anyone would have expected that going in. Now, I will say I have been consistent on this point. Had COVID never happened, the numbers would still be pretty low. Because, you know, I I think the Olympics is generally going to see erosion over the years, right? Um, The fact is, young people don't really care about it all that much. And, you know, especially now that they have the option to just watch, you know, whatever YouTube or TikTok or Vine influencer is out there, right? I assume Vine is probably not still being used, but, you know, like, they have the ability to watch, you know, all these random people that neither you nor I, you know, know exist, rather than Mike Tirico in prime time, anchoring this, you know, musty old, you know, brand from 1896, that, frankly, likes to portray itself as if it's still 1896. Uh, So, you know, I mean, I, I think, Ultimately, the trend for the Olympics is going to be downward, Just, and, and COVID has accelerated that. Anytime you're talking about being down, you know, postponed a year, that is a big deal, but I, I think you know, I, I can only imagine how low the numbers are going to get by Brisbane in 2032, and I think the Olympics is more exposed than a lot of other events because the NBA has relevance with young people. It may not be as relevant with young people as it was five years ago, but it has relevance with young people to keep it afloat for a little while longer. NFL obviously has relevance with everybody. Uh, You know, hockey has a decent young demographic situation going, but if you look at baseball and the Olympics, those are two sports that I'd be concerned about long-term in terms of ratings because the young people aren't there. And guess what? All those 20 year olds today are going to be 30 in 10 years, right? They're going to be the old fashioned demographic, right? And what happens is, as younger people with less of a tie to all of these marquee, you know, uh, blue chip events that we grew up with, right, as they age upward, then you're going to be seeing erosion in 18 to 34, 18 to 49. Not too long from now, you're going to see it in 25 to 54, because they're going to keep aging up into those demos without any of the viewing habits that previous people in those demos had.
2: Always, Ben, uh, you gave me so much meat on the bone to go back and forth on uh, unknowingly. And again, we should make mention, John and I have an outline. I'm going to say this throughout our first few episodes. We don't rehearse what it is that we're going to say or talk about. So we didn't rehearse this. But man, are you preaching to the choir, as I like to say, about TikTok, or about YouTube videos. For example, my twins, I always drag them in whenever I get a chance, favorably or fondly. They keep up with this family in California known as the LeBrant family. John, I don't know if you have any idea who they are. They have close to 20 million subscribers on their YouTube channel, and it's like reality TV of what are they doing in their everyday life. Where are they traveling? They've got kids. They're about to have a new baby, blah, blah, blah. Again, let me say that in case you missed it. They have 20 million subscribers, not unlike my daughters, a lot of them younger kids, whatever, that are watching this. And it's not, it's not uh, unwholesome entertainment. How many television networks would love to have a show that has 20 million viewers that are watching it? That's your point on what yeah. you're up against now in the present day, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I will say, you know, there's always the argument of, okay, well, they've got 20 million subscribers, how many are watching and you an episode in the average minute, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so from that perspective, I mean, if you're talking about 20 million subscribers, I'm sure if you were to try to make an equivalency in terms of television, a lot of these, you know, NCIS probably has a similar number of people you would call subscribers. but you know again it, 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 the, the 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 reason it's so dangerous to the rest of tv is because it's concentrated among these younger demographics who are not latching on to traditional viewing sure. habits um, these changes in viewing habits aren't even being reflected in college age people right what we're going to be seeing is going to be reflected in all those kids who are you know maybe 10 11 12 13 now And 10 years from now, when they age into 18 to 34, I mean, do they watch the NBA now? They probably don't, honestly. Do they watch, you know, certainly do they watch the Olympics now? I would say maybe they watch it with their parents, but that would be about it. Uh, And so, you know, the other thing too, we talk about the NIL in college and the way that a lot of these athletes are able to capitalize on their social media following. Are they, and I genuinely don't know, but are they capitalizing on their social media following for their skills as athletes or their personalities? Because if it's your personalities, that doesn't do Jack for the sport. Right. Sure. So, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, that to me is another factor. Now Zion, we know Zion was viral because of his skill. We know Caitlin Ohashi, for example, at UCLA went viral for her skill. But if we're talking about uh, they keep bringing up those twins at like New Mexico women's college basketball, are they I, I think they do like uh, dribbling skills, maybe
2: do you, do you even know right. who I'm talking I've about? seen? I've seen like one video where they're doing basketball skills and other things, but they're also going through their daily life again, like a lot right. of reality shows and people are watching
3: to your point. Right. So, again, if it's, you know, if it's not because like, wow, look how great they are on New Mexico's team, that's not going to benefit you know, the, the, the team or anything like that in terms of publicity. So that gets to another aspect of it, which is when younger people are interacting with athletes, do they even care about what the athletes do? Because if they don't, then they're not going to watch the games. Right. So I think that's just another big part of it. Uh, And I'm not saying the future of sports on TV is, is bleak, although it is, right. I mean, it is because ultimately, the ratings are gonna go down. They always do. I mean, the ratings that we see today would have been impossible to imagine 10 years ago. The ratings from 10 years ago would have been hard to imagine in 2000. Although frankly, the, the drop from 2000 to 2010, is not as sharp as it drop from 2011 to now. Uh, you know, Frankly, the numbers in 2000 would have been horrible in 1990 and so on and so forth. But I, I do think there is, you know, for, I, I'll just you know, keep it just to the Olympics since that's where we started. I can't imagine what the numbers for Brisbane are gonna look like. First of all, no, you know, we know that Americans aren't gonna care about an Australian Olympics because we saw that in Sydney, right? Uh, you add to that, NBC is probably gonna put a lot of those events on Peacock by 2032. Goodness, who knows? We might, I mean, you might be down to just the prime time windows on NBC and they're just re of things that were available live on Peacock earlier in the day. I mean, we could be talking about 5 million viewers per night. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't want to, you know, say I'm making a prediction. It's 11 years down the road, right? For all we know, 11 years from now, we could could be looking at the same numbers we're seeing today. But if, you know, I could see Brisbane being that low. I could, you know, Uh, frankly, I'm not, uh, one of my uh, Twitter followers said to me the other day, the real question, the real spicy question is whether or not LA in seven years is going to do better than Tokyo is doing right now. And if I'm being completely honest, it seems ridiculous to suggest that an American based Olympics would do worse than Tokyo. What about
2: the argument that it will be more in real time for this country as opposed to delayed? I don't know that it means it won't drop off some, but I think that is part of the argument here that at least Rio and London We're virtually real-time in prime time because right now what they're fighting, just like Beijing 08, just like Sydney that you referenced, you've known for eight hours or ten hours before the
3: prime time window, you've seen the highlights already, right? Well, that's not – I don't think that's this big a problem. I I, I think – as far as the gymnastics is always done hours ahead of the primetime window, uh, even in Rio, that was in the afternoon, and then you knew maybe not for as long as people know now. You I mean you know from seven in the morning till eight o'clock at night? That's a long lead time. But there's always some uh, distance between the gymnastics competition and NBC's packaged version of the gymnastics competition. Um, I think the reason the reason to me that LA, if it could be lower than than Tokyo would be solely because of the continuing trends in TV viewing uh, because of NBC maybe changing its approach to emphasize Peacock even more by then. Uh, and I, I don't think it's guaranteed. I don't think I would put it this way. I would not make any major bets that LA would be higher than Tokyo. I would not say, well, I'll put my house on it. I wouldn't do that. I'm not saying it will be lower, but I'm saying I can't, say with confidence that seven years from now la won't be lower than tokyo because i i just feel like the trends are pretty bad the olympics is especially exposed because of its demographics uh and you know the the ways that nbc is changing its approach all of those things i think could result in you know maybe similar numbers or even slightly lower even for a hometown olympics That's the voice of John Lewis, a.k.a.
2: Paulson, sportsmediawatch.com podcast. You read him all the time. You're hearing him now, wherever you get your podcast with his different opinions. Let's keep it with the Olympics, but move on to another subject. It has been the controversy, at least in this country, and arguably the biggest controversy worldwide in the Olympics. Simone Biles Uh, who was favored to help the United States win team gold in the gymnastics, favored to win almost everything individually that she would want to win, very decorated, uh, arguably the greatest uh, gymnast in terms of athleticism and success that we've seen. She pulls out of the team competition after the first vault that she participated in. And again, we could spend 15 or 20 minutes on the psychological aspects of what gymnasts call the twisties. John, Mm -hmm. I'm a golfer. In golf, it's called the yips. When you suddenly can't make an easy two or three foot putt because you have a mental thing going on. We we used to see it, I'm going to make you smile, speaking of baseball and the older demographic, we saw it like in the 80s and the 90s when Steve Sachs of the Dodgers, Chuck Knoblock of the Twins couldn't throw the ball from their second base position to first base. They could throw it 200 feet on a line as a bullet to wherever they needed to throw it to, but they couldn't throw it 30 or 40 feet to first base. It was the yips in baseball. So she has something going on psychologically. She's pulled back she's pulled out at the time we're taping this podcast it doesn't look like she's going to perform in the rest of the olympics she's there being a good teammate all right so i've laid all of that out what about the media coverage of this and i want your thought and then i want to interject a couple of things and get some more from you but what about the media coverage and what you do on how this has been handled what what would you say
3: well you know it's so difficult for me to weigh in fully because i've not consumed that much of the media coverage uh you know uh I think one of the things, you, you bring up the yips, I can't speak to whether or not that's what he's experiencing, but that's what it sounds like to me. Obviously, the yips in gymnastics can get you killed, right? If you, if you, sure. if you can't figure out how to do the, 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 the skills properly, and these are particularly dangerous skills that Simone Biles does. Uh, you know, you can get killed or maimed or certainly. So obviously, I I, I don't even necessarily look at it as a mental health issue as trying to safeguard her physical health, right? Because she might be able to power through it if it was golf. But I don't think you want to mess around with the yips if you're, you know, flipping through the air. Uh, So, you know, it's so fascinating um, to see when someone's humanity gets filtered through the culture war machine. Uh, it's always just, you know, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all you can say about it. Uh, the controversy seems to be a lot of people talking at Simone, whether they are criticizing her for cheap backlash, you know, the people who like to generate backlash for engagement or, you know, praising her again for engagement, right? It doesn't really seem like anyone, uh, uh, certainly anyone who's uh, commenting about her uh, cares about her beyond the ability to start an argument or win one on, on Twitter. So I think it's a pretty, you know, it's all pretty yeah, disgusting, the, 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 the whole controversy, especially since it's a very simple thing. If she has, again, the yips, right? She can't compete. She simply can't. It would be extremely irresponsible of anyone to suggest she compete through that. You know, you talked about Steve Sachs. Who was it on the Cardinals? The first game of the NLCS in 2000? And he ended up coming back as a hitter. Uh, you know who Rick I'm talking about?
2: Ankeel. Yeah. Are you going to give yeah. me 10 bonus points for pulling that out of the recesses of my mind without looking at anything? I think I sure. get at least 10, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, I think so. Because I couldn't remember his name. Uh and yeah, you know, like Rick Ankeel can can the worst thing that'll happen to well. Actually, honestly, a pitcher with the yips can get someone hurt too. Uh, sure. that's, that's worth noting. But certainly, uh, as far as his own personal health, the worst thing that happened to Rick Q with the yips is that you know he walks in a few runs. So you know it's it's just different. If he's got if he's got that, he can't compete. It would be in just incredibly irresponsible to to want her to. And again, that's not that's not even a mental health topic. That is a you have to keep in mind. We all saw Sam Serio break both her legs the other day at Auburn. Uh, it's an extremely dangerous sport, and uh, it just doesn't make any sense to even have a controversy. If she feels like she can't do it properly, it would be the height of, uh, uh, the height of uh, irresponsibility to, to want her to.
2: I'll give you an example of what you're talking about. Dominique Mochianu from the 96 gold medal team was sharing a similar story of having lack of self-confidence, the yips. In gymnastics, again, they call it the twisties. Uh, Interesting, because I I think of the ice cream place that we go to, and it's a free plug for them on the Sports Media Watch podcast, Twisty Treats. So Whenever I hear twisties, because it's an ice cream place, I'm thinking of ice cream uh, here on the show. But they call it the twisties, which means you kind of lose – your spatial uh, bearings on doing mm-hmm. multiple flips or whatever. And it is a dangerous version of the yips when you're in midair and that's going on. What Mochianu said, and they showed an example from the 96 Olympics where she went to do a back flip with whatever, the twisties, the mental block, And she missed and she smacked her head on the beam when she did. And they were concerned about a concussion, et cetera. That's what you're referring to. And that's the danger that's in the sport. I want to bring it back to the coverage, which is what you do on sportsmediawatch.com nowhere have I really seen this. And again, we could go on and on about why or whatever outside of NBC, it's understood that NBC in a lot of ways is the marketing arm for the Olympics is the marketing arm for the athletes that are involved. They're not going to browbeat Simone Biles when she's sitting there. I do think it's a, and Simone Biles, by the way, hasn't sat for an interview, but it is a little bit over the top the other way when they had uh hoda from the today show doing the interview they sent her to do the interview and she says simone i love you and she says to everybody around her don't we all love simone and everybody's clapping around her that's a little bit to the other extreme on the journalism and the and the questions here's my question to you john lewis uh we remember greg luganis 1988 olympics uh the the premier platform and high dive springboard diver to win the gold medal Early on in the competition on the springboard, hit his head on the board, a very dangerous thing on a backflip yeah. where there was all kinds of concern, would he be able to continue or not? He fought through it psychologically, won the gold. Carrie Strug, that 96 Olympic team, knew her leg was likely fractured, knew that the gold medal was likely on the line for the team and pushed through and did the vault on a broken leg. Very famous images. Okay. The only thing I'm saying, and I want your take uh, because it's your podcast here, is that hasn't really been brought up and discussed as reference points on you can push through. I think I think that's more than fair to bring that up and at least discuss it. Your thought real quick.
3: Well, I, I don't think this is similar to those examples because, you know those weren't mental lapses. Those weren't the yips, right? Uh, That was with Luganus, That was just a terrible accident, right? And uh, certainly Kerry Strug, people fracture things all the time. I think it's easier to power through when you know that you've got the mental aspect correct, right? Uh, You know, if you, I mean, if you can't get that focus that you need, it's again, it's just too dangerous, right? I mean, uh, if Kerry Strug was unable to figure out where she needed to land, that'd be a lot more dangerous than knowing she's got to land on a, on a fractured leg. I do think you bring up a good point about the lack of journalistic, you know, anything. I mean, it's NBC. We know that one, let's just be completely real about it. Television news is not necessarily journalism and television news personalities are not necessarily journalists. That's just the reality. Mm -hmm. uh you know uh and i I don't know with all due respect to lester holt you know you're out there anchoring nbc nightly news and you're covering as paul far he noted in the washington post you're covering the olympics to almost the exclusion of everything else when your contemporaries at abc and cbs are not doing that why are you doing that because nbc has the rights to the olympics and you make a lot of money or your company does off of that i don't know that we can call what nbc is doing right now certainly on the news side journalism right Uh, Tariko, probably, even as a sports personality, feels more of a responsibility to do this in a journalistic fashion than any of the NBC News folks. Um, I I think, you know, it's so difficult. Um, A lot of people, Reason, which, you know, it's a libertarian magazine. I know a lot of people don't like libertarians, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Reason had a very, what I thought, strong article about this situation, uh, which is to say that, you know, criticism of Simone Biles is over the top. And and so is the praise to an extent, which is, you know, she's not doing this for anybody but herself, which is fine. You know, she is doing this for her own benefit in terms of keeping herself safe and taking care of her own health. Um, You know, and when it comes to this type of thing, when you have people whose job it is for clout, to say terrible things and get people angry at them. And then those people incur the counter response of, now I'm gonna be so positive that it's going to outweigh your negativity. You get a debate that is being engaged in by equally, maybe not quite equally, but certainly uh, two groups of very disingenuous people, uh, both of whom are expressing emotions they don't really feel and who don't really care about the person at the center of the story.
2: All right, fair enough. On the Olympics, a couple of more subjects here on this inaugural version of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Again, I'm T.J. Reeves hanging here with Paulson, uh, a.k.a. John Lewis, the purveyor of the site. You read him all the time, SportsMediaWatch.com. You follow him at Paulson underscore S. Mw for sports media watch the NBA draft was recently held um, and at the time that we're doing this now free agency about to begin and the NBA season about to begin of course the uh, season is just concluded with the Milwaukee Bucks having won the championship uh, one of the lowest rated finals you went over it uh, very eloquently here that everything is down gone are the days where Michael Jordan and the 96 last dance Bulls uh, or the '98 Last Dance Bulls have 77.0 million people watching the NBA Finals. That's never coming back. We all we all agree on that. In any event, you wanted to make a couple of observations about the NBA wrapping up the NBA draft coverage as well. Go ahead,
3: John. Sure. Well, first I would say that 77 million for the finals would have to be the uh, at least six minutes of viewing stats. So in the average minute game. Six had, rate, I believe, 35 million viewers, which is not that much higher than game seven of the 2016 finals, which is at 31 million. So, you know, a few years ago, the NBA was doing well enough that had, say, the 17 finals when Durant went there, because the 16 finals did OK. Well, it did well. But, you know, there were a lot of blowouts in that series. So the ratings weren't quite as strong. as. And so as that
2: the- we're clear, that's LeBron winning the first right. title for Cleveland against Steph Curry right. and the Warriors that you're referencing. Keep going. Exactly.
3: The 17 finals is actually a stronger draw than that. It's just that it ended in five games. So Kyle Korver makes that corner three in game three and it's two, two. That series, that 17 finals, I think if it had gone to full seven, could have challenged that 96 game six, uh, excuse me, that 98 game six. So I wouldn't say that 98 was out of the realm of possibility just a few years ago. It is now but you never know what might happen. You never know what might happen. If it's Lakers Nets next year and it goes seven, the NBA is in such a rough spot right now. Everybody is, but it's hard to imagine that you could get back to a point where any game of the finals could hit 30 million. But if it's Lakers Nets next year and it goes seven and you have a sufficiently strong postseason leading up to it, maybe a bunch of seven game series some really exciting stuff. You never know. I wouldn't put it totally out of the realm of possibility. Uh, So that's just, I digress in there. But as far as the NBA draft, what I wanted to note was the uh, one, the decision to put Kevin Nagandi as the host on ABC. I did not watch much of the ABC draft telecast because I think Reese Davis uh, does an excellent job with that. I think he does an excellent job with the NFL draft as well. Uh, So I watched that principally. Um, But, you know, Nagandi would be a good candidate for that hosting position going forward. There's been a lot of talk about putting Malika Andrews in there. Uh, I feel like Malika just got the lead sideline role. Just got it. And while the sideline is often a springboard to the studio, right? Hannah Storm was on the sideline for NBC, then the studio. Ahmad Rashad on the sideline, then the studio. Stuart Scott even was on the sidelines of the finals, then went into the studio. Uh, Eventually, maybe. But let's actually let her have the lead sideline role for a little bit before we move her immediately to the studio, especially since ESPN has done such a, a weak job uh, in the studio and has consistently, I was thinking about it the other day, uh, moving from Rachel to Maria midseason wasn't even the first time they've done that lately. They did that a few years ago, they had Sage and Michelle Beadle as their two hosts. They named two hosts. And then they moved Beadle into that position midway through the season. So ESPN, you know that's not a safe job to have. Uh, and uh, ESPN, you know, uh, you could make the argument pitting women against women. Probably not the coolest thing in the world to do. Uh, it's by very. It, it is fascinating to me that ESPN and its executives have skated in this, and Rachel has incurred all the wrath when Rachel didn't create anything other than her own inappropriate comment in her hotel room, which, by the way. That's another issue because she was being listened in, uh, listened in on in her, in her hotel room. But, you know, it's amazing to me that ESPN and its executives have not gotten more criticism for twice in four or five years, assigning two women to basically the same role and then eventually choosing one over the other in a change of plans like that. That's not the way you do business. You know, that's just not the way you handle uh, your employees unless you're trying to create conflict. And, you know, I mean, I can't imagine they'd be trying to create conflict.
2: I know one of the things that uh, you emphasized to me uh, before doing this podcast that if you were Rachel Nichols, you would be on the phone every five minutes with your agent trying to get out of there. Now, she was on the draft coverage Thursday, but do you believe it's a foregone conclusion? She will be gone and be out of there, whether it's Turner, NBA Network, somewhere else. It's not salvageable there. What is your read? What do you think? You
3: know, It was interesting because uh, Richard Dyche in his media article last week wrote that uh, he felt like ESPN would Uh, and I hope I'm quoting him accurately here, that ESPN would want to part ways with her. I feel like she should want to part ways with them. You don't do what ESPN did. You don't give somebody a role. And within within five, I don't even think she got much of a sample size. I was trying to think today, trying to remember if I'd ever seen her hosting the halftime because she'd only gotten to do it the Christmas day, uh, Christmas 2019, and then maybe uh so there were a couple of saturday primetime ones in january of last year including the lakers sixers game that is so infamous because of what happened the next day uh then there was let's see maybe a couple in february and then one in march so that's like six opportunities that she had before they moved on uh and you know look, uh, part of it is I interviewed her about getting this role. I even asked her, so you're going to be hosting the finals. And she said to me, well, let me do it first, right? Let me get there first. Uh, And, you know, it's a big role. It's a big role to just take away from somebody. And, you know, she was obviously feeling sorry for herself a bit in that that conversation. But, you know, uh, if she had not mentioned diversity, she would, there would be no issue here because she was pretty plainly, Wronged, right? You don't just give someone a position and then just take it away without even giving them the opportunity to fill it. Uh, you know, so look, it is what it is. It's uh, it's a heist. This is a heist in terms of uh, media sentiment that ESPN has gotten away with, in terms of, uh, to my knowledge, to my to my uh, to my knowledge, zero scrutiny of any of its moves when it created this. First of all. You know, anyone could have known that giving two people the same job was ridiculous. ESPN went from having Beatle doing all of Michelle Beatle doing all of its NBA studio to saying, oh, well, we'll have Maria do it on Fridays and Sundays and Rachel do it on Saturdays. And Stephen A will do it on Wednesdays. Lunacy. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So and, uh, you know, I mean, it is what it is. It's a shame that Rachel went racial with it. But you know, if TNT decided midway through next season, well, we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna have uh, our Tuesday guy replace Ernie on the conference finals. I'm sure Ernie probably wouldn't have some nice things to say, as yeah, nice yeah. a guy as Ernie is, because you know this is a competitive business. It's just if, if Rachel had not mentioned diversity, it, I think there would have been no problem because she pretty clearly was the one being you know mistreated here. Uh, another angle of this that has not been broached is well. Age is a forty-seven-year-old losing a job to a thirty-four-year-old. That's another element of this that probably. But again, she's the one that had to go with diversity. I. I it's just a, a shame that she went there, because I think if she had not gotten, if she had not gone there, she would be the sympathetic figure here. But she did go there. I would so submit to
2: you, element. and I know you've you've got your opinions. I've got my f- opinions. I believe she is the sympathetic figure. Uh, we should clarify a couple of other things. There's an ESPN employee, I don't have her name, that she was suspended for two weeks because she is the one that got the recorded conversation and played it for Maria Taylor, Mm -hmm. which basically lit a match under the pile of TNT. So that's a problem. That's a big problem. Uh, And and I I was thinking this when you were saying this. Uh, I still remember in the whole back and forth between Jay Leno and David Letterman, for the tonight show or what letterman ended up doing the late show on cbs when all that happened in nine in the 1990s there have been a couple of books written about it there's been a great uh made for tv movie about it through the whole background of it jay leno on the record had one of the most famous lines ever where he came back on the tonight show and said It's great to be back on NBC, which stands for never believe your contract. That was his, that was his line. I was thinking kind of the same thing along the lines of Mm -hmm. Rachel Nichols in that case. I can't believe them when they tell me that they want me to be the studio host Mm -hmm. if they're looking to replace me and I haven't even done it for a year and it's a pandemic Mm -hmm. and, and all of that.
3: So, and you know, the other Uh, aspect, she went into the bubble. I mean, Maria Taylor didn't go into the bubble. Rachel Correct. did. That is a major sacrifice. And the fact that her privacy was violated in the course of making that sacrifice. Uh-huh. Again, if if Rachel doesn't make it racial, she's the obvious victim here. But she did. She didn't have to do that. Because I don't know that that's why ESPN made that decision. I can understand why Rachel might think that. But I, when I first heard... That ESPN made that decision. I never thought, well, they're doing this because Maria Taylor is a black woman and they want to seem like they're, you know, doing something for diversity. My thought was it was COVID-related. My thought was that they didn't want to put a full studio show down in the bubble. Um, you know, I also think there are other uh, reasons that would make more sense. For example, again, it was a small sample size. It seems unfair, but maybe ESPN didn't like what they saw. The jump is a better show than NBA Countdown, but it's not a studio. It's not a pregame show. That was always something when they made this decision initially that kind of was like, I don't know how the jump is going to fit in a pregame show format. We all saw that halftime show, you know, 30 seconds of analysis and three minutes of ads, right? The jump, I don't know that the jump fits that mold. So ultimately, it's a shame that Rachel made this racial because she forfeited the sympathy that I think she would otherwise have gotten. And she also, I don't know that she needed to. I don't know that she was right. I think there were other possibilities there. Uh, I think that certainly it would be odd if ESPN suddenly decided that they were feeling pressure on diversity after all these years. And it was going to manifest itself by putting Maria Taylor on this titanic called nba (laughs) countdown right (laughs) it would be odd if that was how it manifested itself because i don't necessarily think that they why wouldn't they put maria taylor on nfl countdown like if they were feeling pressure on diversity they've got a much higher profile show in nfl countdown now granted that's uh, sam ponders gig but you know like i mean like it just to me you know Again, it comes down to people say bad things sometimes in private they don't mean, especially when they're maybe feeling a little sorry for themselves and people, you know, and, and, and feeling a little bit frustrated. Uh, and that's why we don't listen in on people's private conversations if we, a, if we want to have good lives. And, and I'm one of those, you know, it's a difficult thing, you know, uh, it's a very difficult thing when you're Black to take the position in a story like this one that is supportive of Rachel rather than Maria. There is an implicit suggestion that you are engaging in a betrayal. So for me, it is difficult because I truly find the idea that the you know national panopticon that we all live in extends even to those conversations that you're having privately. I am not okay with that. I think that's something that I don't support. I feel, you know, a certain amount of, you know, the idea that, oh, how how could you possibly support Rachel here? Look at what she said. We all know that, you know, when you're when you're black and you accomplish anything, there's always going to be someone suggesting, even if they're saying, Oh, well, he's great. He's great. He's excellent. But we all know, right. You know, even there, that happens and it's an offensive thing, um, you know, but I just can't get over the fact that Rachel Nichols is in the bubble, quarantining, making a sacrifice, going away from her kids to quarantine Correct. in this hotel room for seven days. She, she, She makes the commitment to trust her company by putting a camera in her hotel room, right? And her privacy gets violated like that. And I always come back to, unless Rachel picked up the phone and immediately said, I'm going to start ripping Maria Taylor. There was no way anybody could have known what she was going to say without listening to her conversation first which means that Rachel was having a private conversation and someone was listening to it to get dirt. Just because they found it doesn't mean they aren't terrible for doing it. If if Turner offers anything approaching the same amount of money, she should go there because she did a good job there. Uh, And, you know, Turner, you don't hear stuff like this at Turner. You know, one of the things in the phone call was, you know, the, the, uh, the, the person he was talking to referred to ESPN as like a snake pit. Obviously, get out if you can. If you've got the talent to make, if you've got the talent to to make something of yourself somewhere else, whether you're Dan Levitard or you are Maria Taylor or you're Rachel, get out of there. You can't work in a place where you can't trust the people who work there. I don't see how she could ever trust the executives there, and I certainly don't see how she could uh, trust the personnel there after that. So to me, you know, again, what she said was bad. Uh, and I, I don't think that that outweighs uh, the other aspects of this story where uh, ultimately, in, 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 if I was in her shoes, I uh, would be trying to get a buyout. And uh, what, just I, 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 anyway, I will say this, ESPN put her on the draft. Um, it's clear that what seemed to be an effort to unperson her in the initial aftermath of this, which was to take her off the, the final sidelines and to take her take her show off the air. They are moving away from that seemingly. ESPN may very well be comfortable using her in a semi prominent role uh, through twenty twenty three, but they've already said that she's not going to get the studio hosting job next year. Which they couldn't put her in that job. They couldn't. Um, you know, she has no. I don't know what the upside is for her to stay there. And again, I just you know. I would be, if I was in her shoes, uh, tremendously eager to move on. And you mentioned she's been at Turner before,
2: maybe the landing spot, NBA TV and other ones keep the options open. Again, you're hearing the voice of John Lewis on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. We're going to wrap it up. I'm going to have some fun. We'll call it, for lack of a better term right now, a little rapid fire, love it or leave it. And I already know because John prepared me for one of the answers. I already know what one of the answers are going to be. But on several of these, I don't know the answer. I referenced golf earlier. Golf for you. Love it. Leave it. Do you play? Um, do,
3: I, do I play? Uh, yes. I, did, I did play once. Uh, I went to the opening of the Wide World of Sports at ESPN uh, back in 2010. And uh, th- uh, for whatever reason, golf was a part of it. <laughs> I wore a suit jacket and suit pants because I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know anything about golf. And uh, it was, yeah, it was probably, probably quite a joke. I right? should have
2: had video of that and put it up on sportsmediawatch.com. So, suffice to say, you don't play and you don't really watch, no. therefore, because you don't play or you only watch a little bit.
3: I only watch a little bit. Uh, I'll be honest, uh, I didn't watch Tiger uh compete until the 2008 U.S. Open, that was the first time I watched Tiger. Uh, wow. I just, yeah. Uh, and you know, uh, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I actually remember that very fondly. Uh, that uh, playoff with Rocco Mediate. Uh, yeah. And um, Epic. Uh, truth, truth be told, it, it, uh, the first time I actually understood the rules of golf, uh, Speeth was winning majors. So it's a pretty recent uh, occasion that I actually understand. So when they say it's uh, a when they say it's par, that means. He hit it into the hole and the number of strokes required by the hole, right? Yeah, that's correct. Very so good. So there, I you know, I, I learned I learned that it took a while. Uh, golf was probably the last one I actually figured out. Par would be even or average. We try to be
2: uh, below par because below par yeah. is good. I've been teaching that to the twins because they keep looking at the numbers in their, in their school mind going minus is bad. My, I'm like, no, golf minus is good. You don't want to be plus. Uh, if that can be the case and full disclosure on the podcast I live at a golf course I've been playing it for the last 40 years of my life so I'm a golfer John and I are just different in that regard let's continue with love it or leave it I'm just having fun with you Uh, if I were to say guacamole to you love it or I'm just fun abstract guacamole love it leave it
3: you know um hmm it depends on how it's prepared right (laughs) doesn't it So, you you know,
2: wait, are you running for political office on an avocado stance that I don't know about? Either you love it or you leave it alone. Do you eat it?
3: I, it depends on how it's prepared. Honestly, it really does. I, 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 you know, it depends on the quality of the avocado as well. You know, some, I mean, guacamole (laughs) generally, I I don't have the guacamole. I have the avocado itself. Right. right. But again, it depends on the quality. I love that. Uh, I I cannot
2: tell you how many times since the pandemic began and in my house and it's summer, the Marvel movie series is on. At the time we're taping this, my twins have begged us for days about going back to a movie theater to watch the latest Marvel movie, which is Black Widow with Scarlett Johansson. Full disclosure, I am not into this. Are you Hmm. love it or leave it on Marvel? Do you have any time besides watching sports TV and doing it? Love it or leave it. Uh, Which which is it for Marvel and the movies? Uh,
3: That would be leave it. Uh, I've never seen a Marvel movie in my (laughs) life. Uh, The only comic book movie I've ever seen was The Dark Knight uh, with Heath Ledger. And I watched that because of Heath Ledger uh, and all the hype around his performance. So, yeah, that's not my scene. I
2: understand that. All right. And now I know what's coming on this. Uh, I have not yet started to watch Ted Lasso. However, I have talked to so many friends of mine in the media, just friends, period, that love this show. Have you started this? Do you want to start this and watch it? Because it's supposed to be hilarious. Again, the premise, for anybody that doesn't know, this is an American guy going over to run a, an English Premier League football team or the facsimile thereof, and it's a comedy around how what he doesn't know. So there I've laid it out. Are you loving you some Ted Lasso? Are you leaving Ted Lasso?
3: Uh, that would be leaving. Uh, you know, <laughs> so I'm I'm just so confused. People are talking about this incessantly, uh, and you know, I've been trying for the longest while to figure out what it is about this Ted Lasso stuff that just irritates me at a core level. And I think I figured it out. One, I'm not a big Jason Sudeikis guy. Generally, I do like his uncle, I like George Went, but I'm not a big Jason Sudeikis guy uh you know he was okay in that 30 rock uh, arc he did when he was uh, liz's love interest and you know he went to cleveland and all that i
2: must confess i've never seen an episode of 30 rock preach on go, go
3: on and educate me go on yeah but uh, so i'm not a big sudacus guy but i finally figured it out it's a bill lawrence show now all due respect to bill lawrence but scrubs is not my kind of comedy right The irony is I actually watched back in the day before everything changed in TV, you watched shows you didn't really like all the time. So I think I've seen every single Solidary episode of Scrubs, even the final season, the Aftermath version, when they changed the protagonist and had all these weird cast changes. So I've seen pretty much every episode of Scrubs, but Scrubs is not my kind of show. Scrubs has a lot of that kind of fake sentiment. Every single episode has to be moving for some reason. Uh, I'm not a Zach Braff guy. I am a Donald Faison guy, I like Donald Faison, but really I like him from Clueless, right? Not Scrubs, you know, you gotta go way back. Uh, So, you know, uh, Scrubs, not my kind of scene. I don't like cloying sentimentality in my sitcoms and based on the way people talk about Ted Lasso and based on the fact that it's a Bill Lawrence sitcom, I'm assuming there's probably a decent amount of cloying sentimentality in it, right? And I don't know. I, I generally am somebody who enjoys sitcoms that have a little bit of uh, an edge, right? I'm not saying that I'm against, you know, wholesome shows. I I watch more Little House on the Prairie than the average person. I will admit. <laughs> I, I love do. that. I do. You know, uh, little house. By the fun. way,
2: if Mrs. Reeves has her way and we flip by it, we have to watch episodes. And I'm going back to my my elementary years, going. My mother and sister made me watch this. Like, but John Lewis, <laughs> he's down with Laura Ingalls. I like it. I'm learning yeah. lots here mm-hmm. on Love It or Leave It. You're loving well, Laura Ingalls and well, really, and if, uh, and, and the Ingalls on Little
3: House. Well, it's more 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 the Olsons, really. You know, they're the ones that keep that show uh, interesting. But um, <laughs> you know. And, and realistically, Michael Landon had such an ego, though, didn't he? Charles Ingalls was always the superstar, always right. in the right, always the hero. Goodness gracious. He, that could be a little hard to take. So the Olsons are the, are the appeal on, on Little House. But, uh, you know, I'm not against wholesome TV. I'm certainly not against wholesome TV and, and feel-good TV. But I feel like there are shows that kind of are like that ostentatiously, They are interested in saying we're a feel-good show, right? Not necessarily having that come naturally. Parks and Rec had a lot of that. Uh, Parks and Rec, to me, was a show that just really, by the end, it's like, you know, we get it. They all like each other. We get it. Uh, (laughs) It was over the top in that regard. Um, Well, kind of like
2: the reboot, if I can interject, of Friends, because they're doing the (laughs) Friends reunion on HBO Max and... That that lasted for as long as it did and made NBC a ton of money, made them a ton of money because they were friends. But the premise of the show, they were they were having to coexist and love mm-hmm. interests. And and now that's even coming back around. I'm officially old because it's coming back around 25 years later.
3: But well, friends never really left. Right. It's always been popular in syndication. Young people love right. it for some reason. Um, you know, and, you know, to me, I would look at a show like Frasier. Frasier isn't a wholesome show, but. It's a show where the people, the characters clearly love each other and have really good relationships. And it's a show. Oh, I'm bringing up Frazier. Why I bring up Fraser when I can bring up Cheers, right? Because yep. Cheers is the king of, of this. But Cheers is a show that the characters clearly loved each other. Maybe Carla not quite as much with you know Cliff and everything. But and, you know, uh, when when you get down to that series finale, the sentiment expressed there is fairly authentic-seeming, right? You know, but it's not a feel-good comedy in terms of it's just itself. It's not there to kind of, like, beat you over the head with it. I mean, the Twitter overhype machine, It for, forever. Twitter does two things well. It loves beyond all rationality and it hates beyond all rationality. There is no authentic emotion there. It's all maximum. Yeah, I mean, look, maybe it's a show that I would like. Um, but I, I just, I doubt it. Because again, I don't like the shows that are feel good comedies in all capital letters, right? Like they're just screaming to the heavens, we're a feel good comedy. You know, I, I just, I want a show that is itself, that it's not trying to be anything, it just naturally is. Uh, and, you know, maybe Ted Lasso was like that. And it's just that the Twitter hype makes it seem a certain way. But I didn't like Game of Thrones either. For the same reason, the Twitter hype. I, could, I mean, like, again, so much of it is people are so insistent with this stuff that it's like, I, I don't even want to touch it. Everyone's constantly talking about these dragons and all these. Just, I, yes. need, I, don't, I don't even want to get anywhere close to it, you know? Just give me my mystery science theater, right? Uh, you know, give me, that. give me my riff tracks. That show time was, I
2: love it with you. Not leaving it. I love it with you. That show was 30 years ahead of its time. Phenomenal. Yeah. We could go on and on on another podcast and maybe we should about mystery science theater 3000. That was phenomenal busting yeah. on the B movie science fictions uh, with that. All right. So we've come to the end. Uh, did I scare you off? Are we going to get to do a second show on the sportsmediawatch.com yeah. podcast?
3: Are we okay with that? Well, let me listen to it first. I would anticipate, you know, look, so uh, we did we did the first one uh, and it was good. But there were some issues with it that I felt like I wanted to address before we went forward. So this one, I feel like I've addressed those issues. But let me listen to it first and let me see what I think, you know. I mean, again, I I said this in the first one, I'll say it again, I'm not a podcast guy. That's another one of those things that Twitter loves that I just don't, I'm not into. People,
2: you don't know for the last three or four weeks how I've worked to this moment to get this podcast recorded and released. Because the primary thing is, John is like, I don't listen or believe into podcasts. So I have moved like an Indiana Jones boulder that was chasing him in the movie, just to be able to get this uh, on. It's not an exaggeration, right? To get this on the air. Yeah.
3: Well, yes, it is definitely the case that uh, TJ. For all of you who are listening, TJ is the driving force behind this. Uh, I'm not saying I have no interest in doing a podcast. I'm just saying that you know uh, this is—it's not my scene. It's just not my scene. It's like it's like watching Game of Thrones or Ted Lasso for me. It's not for me, right? But you know, if it if it sounds good and people like it, I would be happy to keep doing it. If people don't like it that's fine too, because I've got tons of stuff to do constantly. So, you know, like it it all depends. Uh, I, I think, you know, yeah, let, let's just go with it. Let's see what it sounds like. Let's see, you know, uh, if it's, if people like it, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to think like, you know, I mean, I'm sure there've been other shows and TV series that have been successful despite the star. Not Hey, Al Michaels did the NBA finals. We all know Al had no interest in doing that. That came through. that came through to the viewer. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I I can give you, I won't,
2: I won't name you, but I can give you, there's an anchor who used to be in the Tampa St. Pete market and he got Mm -hmm. moved to the mornings and we would watch him every morning when we're up getting ready for school or whatever. And my wife even began to comment first, boy, he really doesn't look like he wants to be there. And I said, yeah, absolutely so i just i thought of that off the top of my head while you're saying that sometimes it's just not the fit not the uh, the side but can i compliment you here at the end of the first show this was good stuff and this is people hearing from you besides just reading you on sportsmediawatch.com and getting the opinion out there on this different stuff and and i pledge Like this time, we talked golf and we talked guacamole or avocado and we Avengers and Ted Lasso and wrapped it all together. We'll find out some other things as we go along too that John likes to love or leave. Game of Thrones, no, thank you uh, on that as well. In any event, we got to get out of here. Any final thoughts besides they need to read the website, right? Sportsmediawatch.com. Yeah.
3: Um, you know, no final thoughts, really, um, uh, except to the point you made about people not wanting to be there. Uh, how about Dan Patrick on the NBA Finals uh, as a studio host? Uh, Dan was at the end of his it was ESPN contract. That was ugly, by the way. That was surprisingly ugly for pre-Twitter, uh, how, how public that was. Uh, and it was obvious that he wasn't particularly... Oh, I shouldn't say obvious. It sure seemed to the viewer that he wasn't into it. Speaking of toggling back and forth with sports, politics, whatever,
2: the all-time king of that is Dan's former partner on ESPN. Many broadcast lives, many outlets. Is there any more greater example of don't want to be there than Keith Olbermann sitting in the dark studio of yes. then current TV wow. to protest how bad he was being treated, how bad the show uh, needed uh, all of the money to be pumped in and all the stuff. He sat in a dark studio for weeks protesting. <laughs> if there was any more classic recent example than that of I don't want to be here. Let me out of my deal. Let's
3: figure it out. It's probably that, isn't it? Well, I'm amazed you remember that because I was thinking that too. And I thought I was the only person who had ever watched Keith on current TV. I think there's only like seven or eight of us that did. I mean, I I, first of all, Keith should be grateful to every single person who followed him from MSNBC to current because that was not easy to do. Current wasn't even in HD at the time. Uh, And, you know, that man. Wow. That was something else.
2: Hall of Fame of I don't want to be here. Uh, yes. on that, I, I, we- I'm uh, thr- hey, I'm thrilled to be here with you on yeah. the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. And again, we encourage everybody subscribe, find it, and subscribe, and it will come automatically to you, John. Uh, that's it. Uh, thanks. Uh, I appreciate all of the opinions. I look forward to doing this again. I say optimistically. And, uh, and again, I look forward to uh, more opinions and more takes on everything going on as we head towards the fall and football. And there's a lot for that as well. Thank you, John Lewis.
3: No problem. I hope he lasts longer than Barstool Van Talk did on ESPN. I hope he lasts longer than the Hank Azaria show did. You remember that? So, Brockmire is not what I'm talking about. Hank Azaria had an NBC show there for like two minutes in like 2002. Got two episodes and they got rid of it. The same network that gave Emerald like five, six, seven, eight episodes. And right. Hank Azaria was done after two. Brian
2: Bosworth, though, they had the pilot on Fox in the 90s, and then they ran the first episode and then decided this is horrific and we're never running it again. I don't know how many they had in the can that never ran. So yes, Bosworth are flameouts.
3: Bosworth isn't as bad as all that. You know, I watched Stone Cold, the uh, riff tracks of Stone Cold. I thought he was pretty good, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I'll be real. I've seen a lot worse. He, he had that charisma going.
2: So, let's hope we have some of that on the Sports Media Watch podcast. For now, for Pulson, aka John Lewis, I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for being with us.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient.